Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets, where a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. And I'm sorry, but I've got a cold this week. (laughs) Oh, yes. The kids were all passing it around, and now I've got it. I'm stopped up and coughing, so I apologize in advance. I will do my best to hit the mute button uh, whenever you have to cough. Is If you can, like, give me a warning, I will mute and cut and all that sort of thing. So, uh, so hey, anything go on this week? Oh, this was a very busy, very <laughs> well, long week. Yes. Well, when, when, how does it do previously on Raising the Bets? Uh-huh. My mom died, and we talked about that last week. And um, so many of you sent very nice notes, and I really do appreciate everything everyone said, um, and all the prayers especially. Uh, I felt the prayers. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think we all did. So um, Monday was the wake we had, um, and it was, so for those of you who remember, my, my dad died. In five months ago, it was his was sudden. My mom was a long decline. Uh, it was weird. It was different. I guess every time is different, you know. Right. Um. So we had the wake in the town I grew up in, and everyone you expect came. All the grandkids and um, friends of the family. There were people I hadn't seen in years. There were people who I saw five months ago at my father's wake. Um, so, um, yeah, there's not much to say. There. It was, this is a new thing. And I don't know how new it is. The slideshow. That I, so this wasn't a thing when, like when my grandparents died back in the eighties, obviously there was, that was, it was, wasn't possible. But there's a thing now where nursing, where nursing homes, funeral homes will apparently request family to to give them a whole bunch of photos, like the digital photos off of your, you know, iPhoto and drop it in a Dropbox. And they will set up slideshows of photos in the in the funeral home, uh, you know, in the rooms or outside the room or whatever. And. It's a strange experience. Because it's like, oh, what wonderful times. I'm sad. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, that was kind of, it was hard. Like when we first got there, um, seeing my mom in the casket, it was, I mean, it that's hard to see. And she looked better than she has in a long time. I mean, the, the, the funeral director did a, a really great job of, preparing her and everyone noticed that she kind of had a half smile on her face. Yeah. Um, in fact, my brother was saying that, or my sister was saying cause she was there when my mom died, they were praying with her. Uh, she opened her eyes sort of startled 
then turned to look at the picture of the Sacred Heart hanging on the wall in her room, and then died. Which, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah. How'd the kids do at the wake? It was... Um, it was long, and it was a lot of people. They got a bit overwhelmed. Um, the noise. The noise, especially, and just lots of crowds frequently overwhelmed them anyway. Um, and then the wake was from four to eight. It was... Um, right. The wake itself was five to eight. We had to be there at 415. So I brought food and had it in the car because there was no eating and drinking in the funeral home itself. No, that would be weird. Oh, well, it's weird for here. Okay, this is the thing. All right. This okay, is right, the, something right. we need to discuss because in the thing I'm used to is you don't eat in the funeral home at the wake. If you if there's food, it's you go back to someone's house and there's food at someone's house. But you don't you, you are saying that's not how it works where you're from. Well, I don't know because I've never actually been to a wake in Texas. Like Okay. Or anywhere. But but friends of mine were kind of shocked when I said like there was not food and they're like, But but there's Usually food. There should be food. What's a funeral without food? I don't know. Is it, well, there's food. There was lots of food after. Right. The, but, right. So but not at but not, not like at dinner time. Like at dinner time there was there was no no food to be found. Right. High well, or low or anywhere near. Part of that is the time that wakes are scheduled. Like right. I don't remember wakes being scheduled from five to eight. I remember them being like seven to nine or something like that. And there was two nights. Um, when my, so in high school, my best friend's father died. And I remember there was at least two and maybe even three wake nights of wake. Um, because there were tons of people and it was from, it it was after dinner. It was, you know, seven, because people had to come home from work and eat dinner. And then, then you go to the wake. Yeah. I mean, the timing is kind of weird because people get to eat. Like right, especially for four fifteen to eight, especially for kids. That's yeah. that's a hard stretch. Um, but I brought sandwiches and chips and banana bread. Yes, and that that helped a lot. Like when the kids were starting to get really cranky, I took them out to the car and fed them. And it's amazing how much better their moods were after food. Right. Um. Also, my friend Zena, our yes. friend Zena, came. Hero, she's a hero. Zena is wonderful. She came specifically to help with the kids. Like she's she's sat with them, talked to them, entertained them, and allowed me to be there for you. Yeah, and to to greet people, and so I didn't have to worry about them going crazy or being lonely or being out of sorts because I knew that somebody who they know and who knows them really well was was there to. And that right. that was a huge gift. Long longtime SQPN folk will remember Zena and her husband Jeff, who were the hosts of the Secrets of Battlestar Galactica way back when Battlestar Galactica was still on the air. So, uh, and they've become they've become friends, and that's really awesome. And it was great. She came to the wake. She came to the funeral as well. I mean, and just so, so great that she came and helpful. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was at at 
we would got there and then several hours later I'm like, oh it must be time almost time to finish up. Nope, six six, six o'clock. <laughs> Two more hours to go. Oh, it is an introvert nightmare to There are so many people to shake hands with, to greet, to hug, to kiss. Yeah. And I don't, I, well, and when I say it's an introvert nightmare, the introverts will know it's not that I don't want to see people. It's just, it's so draining. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, on top of all the emotional draining that's going on just by having to be there, you know, for, for that, for the reason for my mom dying, um, there's that awkward, everyone's awkward. It's, it's a whole awkward experience. You know, you have the receiving line, the person comes up to you, um, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you so much. She was a wonderful woman. Yes, I know. And then wait, because the next person in line, you know, my sister or my brother or whatever, aren't done with the person they're talking to yet. And so they're kind of standing in front of you like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, this is awkward. <laughs> and then <laughs> moving on. And then the awkwardness of the people who know who you are, but you're not sure who they are. Oh, um, yes. Because I have kind of face blindness I'm not not a hundred percent face blindness, but sometimes, especially when I see people out of context, I don't recognize them, um, including like one of the scout moms who I have spent hours with. So I should recognize I. But when you see someone out of context, sometimes out of context, it's, not dressed like in scout uniform, and right, just I was like. Not sure who she was for like a good five minutes until she said something about this most recent scout event. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, now I know who that is. And it didn't even cross my mind because I had just spent all day with with them like two days before at the at the uh, Klondike, you know. So it's like, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Heather and Scott and, um, you know, Dan and Jenny. And it was so nice of them to come all the way over for that. It was Super, super awesome of them to come. Uh, this our scout troops and pack are so supportive and such a, so close knit. It is really nice to, to to be part of that. Um, so what else to say about the wake? Um, not a lot. I mean, it was it was. I mean, emotional emotionally wrenching. I mean, it's kind of a given. Um, afterward, we went to my brother Bernie's house. Uh, family, you know the. My my brothers, my sisters, their kids. We went there. Uh, there was pizza and other food, and we kind of hung out and it talked. Was, it was nice. There's some good stories told, and yeah. And uh, my nephew, who's in the army um, down in Georgia, got leave to come up, like a bereavement leave to come up for the week. So that was really nice. Got to see him. He's deploying with his unit in a couple months, so we won't see him for a while. So um, it was really nice to see him before he goes. My niece, Catherine, is in Rome. Um, right. You know, she's on her Rome semester from UD, so she couldn't be there, which I feel bad for her. Uh, although she did say she's been praying for Grandma and, and my dad, you know, Nana, Nanu and Grandma, all over Italy. Right. In, in every shrine, in Lourdes, you know. So. so so at least you got that going for me, to quote Caddyshack. A little pilgrimage of grace there. Yes. Uh, so then Tuesday morning, get up early, go to the um, the funeral home where our good friend, Father Ed Riley, was there, for our former pastor. But also he's been friends with my brother and his wife, John and Patty, for years prior to that. 
they you know they go way back. Uh, but he was our first pastor here in in Holbrook at our parish, and um, so he knows all the kids and and all that. And uh, so he came, which was nice, and uh, said a prayer, and you know let let us all in prayer, and gave a little talk to the grandkids uh, about about grandma and about a vocation and the need to pray for her and where she is now. And it was just so great. It was really good. And I really felt moved like, thank God for our holy priests and deacons who are there for us to bring us the sacraments. I mean, we have so many, we were blessed with so many great priests and deacons that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was, Father Riley, the night before was Father Hines, not Father Chip Hines, who's my friend, uh, but the Father Hines from the, my mom's and brother's parish, uh, who came for the wake prayers, but also celebrated the funeral mass. Um, Father Donahoe, who was the pastor, but he didn't say much, but he was there. And um, I know his sister, Colleen, I worked with her at the Archdiocese. Oh, right. Um, so um, just, and then Deacon Kevin Wynn, who was, did the the uh, graveside prayers? Uh, also a really great guy. I've known him for years, long before he was a deacon. Um, and uh, yeah, just a fantastic person. I just so grateful to all our holy priests. Thank you so much. And then the priests who are my friends online, who you know don't live nearby, who promised to say masses for my mom and dad, and all these all that sort of thing. It's just so grateful. It 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 feels so good to to be connected to so many great priests. So um, we went to the funeral. The funeral was held at St. Timothy's in Norwood, Mass. Uh, not my mom's regular parish, which is St. Catherine's in Norwood. But I guess St. Catherine's is undergoing some extensive renovations. Uh, but the coincidence is interesting. St. Timothy's is by the uh, lake in Norwood. And my mom and my dad used to go there. Uh, you know, they, they, they drive there like at lunchtime or whatever and just hang out and talk. By you know, in the parking lot at St. Tim's, which is kind of fun uh, to think that was their place. And then um, my brother gave a reflection at the mass um, that incorporated um, the some of the thoughts that I had that I shared last week on the podcast. Um, and it was beautiful. Tip. Also, he he read from a letter that your mom had written to you, her kids. Yes, that was in just- two thousand. 2001. Yeah, just beautiful. Like that made me tear up so much. Oh, I wonder if I can find that real quick. Cause it was, um, it was such a beautiful, her own words were so full of faith. And so, um, looking forward, they feel very, they felt very prescient. Like she could see the path ahead of her and she was right. girding herself for it and preparing you for it. So this the funeral, by the way, was on Valentine's Day, which, you know, happy Valentine's Day. Um, got out of having to take you out to dinner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you never have taken me out for dinner because I do not want to go out to dinner on Valentine's Day. No, you are the anti-Valentine's. Like, we're just totally not into that sort of stuff. So, all right. So here's what my mom wrote. This was in 2001. Today was an anniversary of my mother's death, your grandmother, and tomorrow would have been her birthday. If you're attending church or saying prayers, please remember her and my father, your grandfather. She died the day before her 64th birthday. So in this vein, I write the following. 
As we get older, the days get shorter, along with our stature. Time flies and we slow down. We become the seven dwarfs. Weepy, sleepy, grumpy, happy, etc. <laughs> and like Snow White, bit the bitter taste of aging and it becomes an effort to move. The shell is becoming worn down and the engine is sputtering. It is a feat to move our feet along. Sometimes we grow a third foot to steady the gait as the joints wear away. This may all seem depressing, but I find it sad and glad. This journey is an uphill climb as I traverse the rocky path. Sometimes I've tripped and fallen, and it's been a trial to get up. The air becomes thin and breathing is labored. I keep looking up and hope I will reach the top to be with the light that entices and promises a wonderful existence for eternity. At times it seems so far away and I will never reach the summit. Then I look back and see what was left behind. A feeling of sadness soaks into my very being, and I see all the mistakes I've made. I shake myself and say, don't look back. Don't dwell in that cave of darkness. The mistakes were lessons, and I have been forgiven already. Don't dwell in this unholy place. Only fear and doubt are the inhabitants of dark places. God is the light and joy I look forward to. There were many joyous times on this earth, and such wonderful and powerful things came out of the mistakes and sadness. So I close this event reminder that you all have an, an aging mother on your hands. Prepare and strengthen yourselves by praying. It never ceases to amaze me how God can take over when you give your spirit up to him. And he takes it and holds it gently to his sacred heart. So, uh, prescient. So much of that just feels like she could see, like, with laser clarity what was coming for her. Yes. path that she was walking for the next 20 years. Her life was filled with not just joy, but also suffering, forgiveness, faith. I mean, it was, it was a, a life lived fully with so much. I wish I could tell you all. And I, um, I've posted the eulogy my, my brother gave on uh on my facebook page if you if you're one of my facebook followers or friends uh if you want to check that out um so yeah it my mom her faith she gave her faith she had such deep faith and handed it on to us and we've handed it on to our to our children and so i'm so grateful for that as i mentioned last time so um we so from the mass in oh and my mom's best friend from when she was in grade school was there mm -hmm. who she herself has got um she's had a stroke and she was just so devastated she grabbed my hand as we were walking out you know processing out and just wouldn't let go and just wanted to talk about my mom she just mm -hmm. poor betty um you know they 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 knew each other longer than anyone else alive. I mean, when I think about that, longer than my dad or her husband or anyone. So, right. Kind of amazing. So from the the church, we made our way. We had police escort, though, by the way. That was pretty cool. 
That was. So, like, the Canton police escorted us to the Canton police line, uh, to the Canton Nord line, where the Nord police picked us up and brought us to the church. And then they added, escorted us to the town line because the um, my mom is buried at Mount Hope Cemetery in Boston um, with, uh, with her mom. Her mom is buried there, too. Uh, Mount Hope is one of is is a city cemetery. It was started in 1852. Pretty wild. I was looking it up online. There's like nine Medal of Honor winners buried there. And, you know, just it, there's amazing people there. In addition to my mom. So uh, and then the graveside service, like I said, was led by uh, Deacon Kevin. Uh, Kevin's a great guy. He's a former um, air traffic controller for the FAA out of Boston and Manchester. And um, he's retired now, I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, he he was working the, nine, the day of 9-11. You know, he's got some stories. And we were telling wow. stories. And uh, I was telling him about Mysterious World. Uh-huh. And he was kind of interested. And we were kind of talking a little about some of the UFO type ones, which was kind of fun. So, um, yeah, after the after the funeral, we went back to my brother John's house and had some uh, food there because this is what we do. And a ton of food. So lots of food. food. Uh, so, yeah. And then um, from there. Uh, oh, one cool thing. That's what I was wanting to bring up. I didn't write it in my notes. So this my, my mom is uh, her dad. My mom's mother is it was her dad's second wife and the granddaughter of my dad's um my mom's brother half brother trying to, trying to keep them all straight your mom's brother's daughter 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 so yes. your mom's niece my mom's niece she's my mom had two uh, half brother half sister that she never knew from my dad's first marriage my granddad's first marriage and um her ha- her her niece got in touch with my sister and we were contacting you know we're talking to her. she had more of the family history and was giving us some of it and it turns out that i don't want to go into all the details but it, it seems that my granddad wasn't necessarily at fault in this in the split up um uh, he was kind of t- tossed out um was the kids were told don't talk to that man he's the boogeyman you know about their father just really sad um but we, my brother John and I have been doing some genealogy, and based on the genealogy work that she had done, we started finding some documents related to my grandfather's um, naturalization and census documents. Uh, and so, quick recap: he's uh, he was Jewish. My grandfather's Jewish. He had come from, quote unquote, Russia. Is what we were told. Uh, back around 1909, 19, before the, the 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 Russian Revolution, um, they had escaped the pogroms, the the persecutions of the Jews to come here. You know, basically um, fiddler on the roof, right? And so uh, that's most of what we knew. But we but we didn't really know where he was from. And I had had this idea. My mom had kind of planted this idea that he might have been from the Odessa region, which is Ukraine, not Russia. And John found this notation on an immigration document that said his or, his place of origin was Volnia or Volino was actually what it said, which what happened a lot of the time in those days, you know, some Italian would, would hear a word and say, and write it down, you know, some Italian American guy and then write it down in an Italian way. So it was Volnia was actually, which is a region 
and you know the, the the borders changed so much over the past couple hundred years in that area uh at the time it might have been like a polish lithuanian kingdom but it included part of what's now ukraine and then we found the notation that it was from zvil so volinia was a region but zvil which turns out is the yiddish name for Svile, which is a town uh 200 miles west of kiev and we found uh, a web page for Svile, which has only become Svile again. It was like a Russian name for a hundred years until just last year when the war started. They changed it back, so which is which is kind of handy. Um, it w- it used to have a very large Jewish population. Many of the Jews left at the beginning of the twentieth century. They came to Massachusetts to work in the textile mills, which is probably why my grandfather's family came here. And then, um, of course, during World War II, the the Nazis showed up and um, they slaughtered. There was only like 6,000 people left, 6,000 Jews left, and they, they killed about 4,000 of them and took the rest to Belarus to a prison camp for, you know, a labor camp. There's a, and then from which they escaped, by the way, and became partisans in the forest, which is kind of awesome. And there's a movie starring Daniel Craig and Liv Schreiber, Liv Schreiber called Deliverance. Mm-hmm. That is a, their story. So now I really want to see that movie. So it's really cool. We found out something. Um, now I'm, to- I mean, I was on the side of the Ukrainians in the war before, but now I'm totally you know, <laughs> fighting. I'm, I'm on, I'm on Ukraine side now, totally, because that's my people. Um, so that was really a blessing, you know, to come out of this. Right. So um, another blessing happened this week from death to life. Right. My little brother. Tim and his wife had their first child, um, a little daughter named uh, Skylar Hope. And oh, my gosh, so excited. Skylar Hope is such an Austin name. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a great name. It's a great name to tell you, but but it's a very Austin, Texas name. Well, also, I think I can't help but hear it in it. My my um, my sister-in-law's um, maiden name is Sky. She's Amber Sky. So Skylar is kind right. of a nice I'm sure to, that was probably part of it. Yeah. Um anyway, really beautiful baby girl, so excited that she's here and that mom and baby are both in good health and oh, it's just how weird is it to see your little brother as a dad? The picture of him holding his his baby daughter was just I was crying. <laughs> oh, totally. Um it's very cool. So, um Praying for them as they embark on this wonderful adventure of uh, parenthood. Yeah. Newborns are not easy. Oh, no. Still remember that first week with Isabella when uh, the the first time when your parents had come, both had come to town to help us. And then they left. They left us with a baby. What what are we supposed to do with this baby? You can't leave us with this baby. Where are the adults? (laughs) We're the adults. We're, We're not ready to take care of another human being. Man, yeah. that was scary. It was, but um, yeah, they'll they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll they'll do well. I don't want well. And the nice thing is, is, your parents are like literally around the corner. Yeah, they're like a mile away, and um, Amber's mom is also in town, so they aren't nearly as far away from uh, family as we were. Right, as you were, as anyway. I was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then today. So everyone's had a cold. Everyone in our family's had a cold ever since. We probably 
we either gave it to everybody at the wake and funeral or we got oh, it from somebody. Um, Isabella was was fighting it uh, at the okay. at the wake. So. Okay, good. So we gave everybody a cold. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Good, good, good. good. So you're welcome. So um, today, uh, Sunday as we record this, was my brother-in-law, Pete, had been planning for a long time a surprise birthday party for my sister, Evie. And so we had the party today. Um, and it was up in you know their town, which is about a forty-five minute ride north north you know north of us, north of Boston. Um, but you and Sophie and Be- and uh, Anthony, Anthony were just not up for it. No, I um I slept another like three hours after you left, right? Um, which was well needed, and uh, yeah, Sophie has been coughing nonstop the last few days, and uh, right hasn't been sleeping well. So I took the other three. I took Bella and Ben and Lucy, and we drove up. And uh, so it was a surprise party because my family's all, all about surprise parties. So uh, we sat in the back of the church. So it was after mass at their parish in the hall downstairs. Um, and so we were going to go to mass there because there wasn't time to go to mass anywhere else at any other time. So we drove up and got there in time for mass and sat in the back so that they wouldn't see us. And it worked out all the whole mass until the very end when one of my nieces turns around, looks and goes, what are my cousins doing here? <laughs> oh, so kind of like almost ruining things. And um, it turns out that they had uh, asked to have the mass offered for my mom. So my other sister, Francesca, told my sister, Evie, oh, they must be here for the mass for mom. Which was really weird. Like, why would we, we drive? Would, we would never drive, we would up drive all the way up for, the, for a mass remembrance mass, right? Not without telling her, like, "Hey, we're going to come to that mass." Like, that would be weird. Right. But she bought it. <laughs> Evie is um, easily convinced of things. <laughs> That's the nice way to say it. Yeah, Evie is kind of gullible. <laughs> As the older brother, I can say that. Uh-huh. So, and I say it with love. So we snuck out, go downstairs, and then um, all of our you know, other family is there, my other brothers, and she comes in, happy birthday, surprise. Um, then a really nice thing was we used to live in that area. Uh, this is where we met and where we got married. Right. And we had a big community of young adult friends who we went to mass with. Not, we're not so young adult anymore. And not at all young adult anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and a bunch of them were there, Sue and Jean and Darlene and Christelle. I'm, and I'm, so, I'm so sad to have missed it, but there's yeah. just no way. Well, we have resolved that we need to get together. When the weather turns nice, we're going to go up and we're going to do something all together. Just something fun uh, because we need to catch up. It really did. Maybe we can get to Devereaux Beach. That would be uh, interesting. That would be fun. It was a lot of fun uh, talking to them, reminiscing, you know, the, the old days of Life Teen and all the weirdness that was involved. And <laughs> it was Life Teen, Randy's bizarre um, <laughs> insistences about how we should do things. And it would be all in good fun. Not not like that's not cr- critical. It's just kind of looking back with the hindsight of 20 plus years. And that was the other thing it was like, it's been 20 plus years, like. Right. Really, um, for me, 23 years since I, I moved to Salem. It's kind of wild. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that was a lot of a lot of fun to catch up with them and to, and to, to see them. And it was it was really nice. And uh, yep. And then came back. So that's been our week. 
I so like, I feel like there's something else that I was going to mention, but I, now it's something. What else could there possibly be from this week? <laughs> I don't know. It's been it's been a, one of those weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there is something else, and we'll forget till later. Um. All right. So let's move on. We'll talk about some food stuff. Let's talk about that shawarma you made last night, chicken shawarma. Um. Yeah. Uh, I was I was using um my friend Simka Fisher's recipe for the chicken shawarma. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I've made it once before. Uh, yeah, I was looking back in our notes and we talked about making shawarma like three years ago or uh, two, two, two and a half years ago or something like that. Right. Um, um, but I don't know if you've made it like this since that that time, because this is um, this was seemed to be really good, like even better than before. Right. This was a hundred percent meal. Everybody loved it. Which was surprising. Like I, I did not expect Ben to eat it at all. And um he piled it on his plate and um stuffed his pita full of shawarma and fixins and ate almost like all but one bite of it. Uh, which was so, impressive. So basically you marinate the chicken. It was like the juice of two lemons and olive oil. Olive oil, um, turmeric, and garlic, salt, pepper, paprika, paprika, cumin. I I added some coriander, too, because I really think that cumin and coriander want to be friends. Coriander has a citrusy um, flavor to it, so that goes with the lemon. And, um, And then I added something which was not in the recipe I was following. I added about a teaspoonful of sugar, because I remember the last time I made it, I liked it, but it was a little bit, I don't know, kind of bitter uh-huh. and sour. And I think I thought, you know, I think it would work well with just a little sweetness to cut through the bitter. And I was right. That that I think was magic. Right. Um, not So it wasn't super sweet. It was just that little tiny edge of sweetness. Well, it's it. Not, it wasn't sweet. It was balanced. I think it added right. some balance to it. Uh, and it balanced off the lemon uh, there, and, and and that really, um, yeah, it was so good. I mean, it was so. So basically, I you know I marinated it for a couple hours in the fridge, and then I put it on a baking tray with some chopped, um, sliced onions and bell peppers on top, mm-hmm. and cooked it. It was like four twenty five for about half an hour. The- and this was boneless, skinless chicken thighs. No, breasts. Oh, breasts. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, just cooked it until the chicken was done. Then I pulled it out and let it cool down a bit. And then I cut the chicken into smaller pieces and then cooked it in the skillet. And then I also cooked the onions and the um, peppers a little bit more because they hadn't quite got as, as soft as I wanted them to. Um, right. Could have been more peppers and onions. There should have been more peppers and onions. I used, like, I had... Most of a bell pepper left, but it wasn't even a whole bell pepper. And right. that was all the bell pepper we had. And then a small onion. I probably could have done two small onions or one big onion. Um, yeah. And then we had some cherry tomatoes that were on their way out and you were about to toss. And I said, oh, here, give them to me. And I sliced them in halves and I threw them in the pan after I pulled out the peppers and onions and just cooked them. Like the it had all the shawarma juices and seasonings in it and I just cooked those until they were starting to brown a little bit. Mm-hmm. Those were perfect too. And you made tzatziki. Yeah, I made so it's a Greek yogurt with lemon juice and lemon zest, um, some sliced mint, and a 
salt. No, no, I didn't put cucumber in it. I just put garlic uh, and some garlic. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't didn't think there was cucumber. Um, Most of the time I do add cucumber. Like most tzatziki has cucumber in it, but this was just more of a yogurt sauce without the cucumber. And you made some um, cucumber pickle and onion pickle. Right. Yeah. I just used some brine that I had from last summer in the fridge. It was like sitting in the back of the fridge and I just sliced some cucumbers into it and did a quick pickle. Uh-huh. Those were good. Yeah. And with some lettuce and some pita bread, it was really, it's basically you're making like a Greek, Lebanese, whatever, um, taco, uh, burrito. Or taco. You know, I have to say that once again, I kind of prefer naan to pita and I'm almost tempted to, if I make it again, just buy naan instead of pita. Interesting. I just, the texture. Is I, the pita too thick? No, no, it's it's too, I don't know, it's it's got almost a sort of well dry and gritty texture to it. I wonder if we should make pita. Even when I've made pita, I like the non recipes better. <laughs> I, I just, I'm more of a non person than a pita person. You're a non person? You're I'm a, a non to- You're a total person. <laughs> don't, don't say yourself short. So um, I'll put a link to Simka's recipe uh, in the show notes. And you can check it out. It's really good. Um, and yeah, g- give it a try. You also omitted the, she has a pinch of ground cinnamon in hers. I did omit, omit the cinnamon because recently I have found that cinnamon has given me um, heartburn. Okay. Like, I'm not sure why, but instead of the cinnamon, I added allspice and nutmeg. Um, And those, I think, added some of that same warmth yeah. that the cinnamon adds. I really like allspice and allspice does not have the same negative effect on me that cinnamon does so good just go with that excellent so yeah and you had it for lunch today and even better even the the yeah because we poured what I, when i didn't do last night when i cooked it in the skillet was pour the juices from the pan in and i should have done that because those were so good <laughs> i i put the, put them in like on over the leftovers yeah and uh wow yeah, so the thing is, it, it didn't mean, it, I don't think we clarified. So when you, after you cook it in the oven, um, you, when you take it out, you, you chop it up and this, you, you saw this saute in the skillet so that it, um, it kind of browns a little more. Right. And it, and it just kind of, it dries it out a little bit. It dries it out a little bit, but it also like distributes the spices over more of the meat because yeah. now there's more surface area. So right. it's more, infused with spices than if because you cook the in fairly large chunks yeah like each breast was cut up into like six or seven chunks right yeah so really good really good um you know the other thing we were talking about is, is if instead of sugar you could use pomegranate molasses that might have been an interesting addition mm. that or honey yeah or honey yeah either of those all right so that's what we've been cooking let's talk about things we've been watching uh, we watched, we've caught up on, uh, until tonight, cause the next episode drops tonight. Uh, the, the show last of us, that this is the show that's about not zombies, but people under the influence of mind control parasites and the end of the world. And this guy's got to get this, this girl from Boston to somewhere in Wyoming. And it's a, the guy who's Pedro Pascal, by the way, Pedro Pascal, he, he has, you know, Pedro Pascal has to take the magic child from <laughs> escort it and save the magic child and, and bring them to some place to save everything, right. which is apparently his career. Evidently. <laughs> um, so I 
I have to admit, this is this is a show that is sort of on the limit of what I can handle in terms of scary, make you want to jump like like my heart is just racing in my chest and I'm like, I do not like this. There's like scary (laughs) things about to jump out at everybody all the time. Um, But the characterization. um, In the show is so good. even like minor characters who they're about to kill off, they give a lot of time to building up a rounded persona. Right. A lot of characters get killed off. This is Game of Thrones level of killing off characters. Um, yeah. So far, I think in almost every episode, a major character dies yeah. who is somebody you don't want to die. And if you can't handle the deaths of children this is absolutely not a show you should ever watch right i'm just gonna say right up front children die awfully horribly and it will break your heart not gory just it's tragic well some gory too Uh, well i mean sure i don't i don't want to mislead people to think that it's like that we're watching like torture horrors no but it's it's wrenching it's wrenching is 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 what it is. It's wrenching and I know that the, there are people who really can't handle children children in jeopardy. Children in jeopardy. Yeah. And I I just want to make sure that we don't mislead anyone into thinking this sounds like an interesting show who can't handle that because yeah. I would hate to be that person. Right. Um there was a the third second second episode, the second episode um was had was somewhat controversial because it depicted a same-sex relationship over a long period of time. Um, and, and there were parts of it. I was like, Ugh, don't, you know, don't, don't show that. Um, however, I still think it was an interesting story that they told. And it was a big diversion. Like it was a big um, tangent from the main characters. You know, one of the things I, I actually like about this show is that they are willing to take those kinds of storytelling gambles and, they work right to really immerse you in the world and the characters and the people. And they were interesting people. Like they were made, they were really interesting characters with an interesting arc. Yeah. Uh, I did not like the way their story ended at all. Right. Um, there were, we, I mean, without spoiling anything, there are um, moral issues with, which I don't think, I don't think we're supposed to necessarily agree with their, the moral choices. No. Um, I think we're, we're supposed to look at it and go, is, or, you know, what would I do? You know, what choice would I make? The, this show brings up a lot of interesting moral questions. Yep. And I, I found myself wrestling with quite a few of them. Like, what is the moral thing to do in this situation? And, I consider myself a pretty well-formed person and I would be at sea living in this world, trying to make the decisions that they have to make because sometimes it feels like there is no good moral option. This is a post-apocalyptic world where probably 90% of people are dead. Right. And what remains is a lack of civilization. I mean, there are pockets of civilization, but it's, People at their worst. Even even it makes the, you wonder who the real monster is. Even the civilization is more like the level of 
brutal warlords, might makes right. There's right. there's not much in terms of hopefulness about the human condition. Which, you know, from a from a Christian perspective, I look at this and go, that's why this isn't going to happen. Like, God's not going to let this happen because it's, it, it doesn't fit within the plan of for humanity that God has laid out for us. I just don't see it. So, um, but, but I think that these stories have a purpose, <laughs> not necessarily that they're predicting the future, but that oh, they no. allow us to think through yeah. questions and to, I don't know, explore aspects of ourselves. Sure. That I you agree. can't that you can't necessarily do in other ways. I mean, I have, I do find myself actually drawn to the genre of post apocalyptic literature. Yeah, and I'm not even sure why. Oh, I like to imagine if whether I could survive. No, I'm pretty 100 sh- percent sure. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. But I would not survive, <laughs> and I'm not even sure I would necessarily want to survive. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that attracts the, that this genre attracts. Is is precisely deal it it strips away all the other things and really presents us with the stark questions, the most basic questions of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be moral? When when all is stripped away, can I be a moral good person? Can I am I a good fundamentally am I a good person? And and the the question can only really be answered. <laughs> In the most extreme situation, when all everything is taken away from you, all support, and you just have to make that decision. And and I felt like there are a lot of characters who are put in situations where it felt like their their choices were untenable. Like there was no good, there, no good there choice. There is no good choice. There is only the least worst, the least bad choice, the least worst choice. I mean, yeah. Um, yep. I mean, yeah, this this last episode we watched, just the way it ended, it just was so wrenching. Uh, and you're like, how can you go on? It's like, how do how do they go on? What what drives them forward? So yeah, I'm not even sure like how you continue under such extreme circumstances, and yet. People do. Well, and this is something Stephen Sterling has talked about in relation to his um, change verse series of books where he talks about the people who survived are the are survivors. <laughs> you know what I mean? When, when once 90 percent of, of humanity has been killed off in some devastating, destructive mega extinction event. The people who survive are the people who are the unlikely ones the lucky ones the ones who the ones who never give up the ones who never stop the ones who never who just keep going who keep moving forward so they would be the ones who survive so um anyway that's that's interesting so it's I'm curious to see where we go from here in that show um another show i never thought it was going to come back that it was going to have a season 2 is called carnival row so uh, it's an Amazon Prime series. The first season was like four years ago. It's, it's crazy. It was in 2019. I kind of remember you watching that. Yeah. So it stars Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. And it takes place in this um, in a world that is the level of technology is essentially, I think, I'd say like Victorian, like late 19th century. 
So it kind of has a steampunk sort of feel to it. There's a yeah, there's steamships and airships and all the essentials of steampunk. If you if you have like steam valves and airships, that's in your steampunk. And um you have it but it's a world with um magical creatures, fairy. Although there's not much there's not much magic, but they are like you have um um Oh, it's sprites. They call them picks. They have wings. They fly. They're like that sort of fairy, but they're human size. Um, then you have uh, centaurs and you have um, what are the ones? Fawns like um, satyrs, satyrs, satyrs. Um, although they're not like super like satyrs. As I can, or maybe they are. I don't know. But they they have the horn, the ram's horns. Anyway, you have a variety. You have like oryx and trolls and that sort of thing goblins and trolls and but they're like the they're the underclass so it's a really a story about um class and maltreatment um being forced to live in a ghetto because you're you know those, those you're a crit that's what they call um the various fae creatures um and it, you know it's it's a bit brutal it's interesting um i'm not sure where they're going with it this seems to be there doesn't seem to be an arc so at the moment. There's just like they're just surviving at this point. So I don't know if there's like a goal we're reaching for, whether it's like we need to solve the problem or it's just let's look at these people living in this bad situation. So I'm not sure where it's going just yet. Um, I, I really hate this thing where it like shows it's four years between a, se- a season, even like a, two years kind of like with the Mandalorian, it's like, it's so long. I need to remember what happened. And you're only going to get like six episodes to satisfy you until you got to wait another year and a half or whatever. It's, it really bugs me. I'm, I'm a child of the eighties, right? We had, we had 26 episodes a season and then they took three months off with reruns. And then you came back in the fall. Yeah, but you I knew think, what to expect. I mean, but the trade off is that often we have better, higher quality. Well, sure. No, I, I, I get that. It's just, it's so frustrating that you only get it like a handful. I mean, they could do 12 episodes, you know? Right. And do they really need to take two years between seasons? I, it gives the actors, for instance, uh, the opportunity to go do other things. Like Pedro Pascal can do the Mandalorian and the last of us. Right. You know, I, I, so I get that. It's just, it's kind of frustrating. Anyway, Carnival Row, I watched the first uh, episode of the second season. Um, it actually is pretty good. I was afraid that it might have have a second season slump, but it, it, it's it, the first episode is pretty good. So as far as reading, I finished another book and short story in the Murderbot series. I read Murderbot, Murderbot Exit Strategy. Um it's good. It continues on. It's about the same level as the other ones. Uh, interesting, raises some interesting questions. You know, the thing about Murderbot is he's a construct. It It's a construct, which means it's a sort of cyborg, but it's not a, like uh, robotic parts attached to a pre-existing person. They apparently grow human body parts, like clone the parts and marry them to mechanical bits to make a new thing. And then it has a personality. Right. Like it feels, it felt like 
it wasn't even necessarily cloning from one person, but they were like mixing and matching genetic right material from many people. So it wasn't just a clone of a person. It was more like they took bits and pieces from people and bits and pieces of machinery and they put them together to make something new. And the the question I have is, is, is it a person? Does it, like, there's this debate in the story about are the constructs, the AI constructs persons or not. Now, if it were just a machine with a, with a, you know, a programming, I'm, I'm of the data is a toaster school of thought, which is a machine can't be alive. It can't be a person. No matter how sophisticated the machine gets, it's still a machine. But it's got, it's at least got neural tissue. It's got brain parts. Right. And so then the question is, how much brain part does, do you have to have? How much human flesh do you have to have to be a person from a, from a Christian point of view, to have a soul? Uh, I'm going to pose this to Jimmy Aiken right. in, in a future. Uh, future to be questions. clear, in, in the story, there's no sense that anybody is Christian or considering this from a Christian point of view. Right. There's That's, religion, but no real, there's no Christian religion. There's like it's no. hinted at. Someone may have mentioned it. I don't even remember a mention. It might have been a, 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 a glancing mention, but no, right. Religion is not an important part of the, the society depicted in the books. No. But from my own point of view, like just as a sort of thought experiment, you know, how much, how much needs to be there for it to be a person? Because like in a, like a baby born with trisomy 13, they have just a brainstem from what I understand, if I understand how correctly. Uh, understand it correctly um, just a brainstem but they're still a person so if the if the murder murderbot that's what it calls itself it's a security robot if murderbot has a brainstem does that mean it's a person it's a good question what makes it what makes it a person i do think it's interesting that everybody in the story who interacts with murderbot is incredibly uncomfortable with its lack of name like right they call it sec unit which is a very unsatisfactory but murderbot right. is its own name for itself which it doesn't really want to share with other people and like, it's it's an ironic name because it, right. it's like uh, yeah i'm a murderbot that's what i do that's what i've been i've been built to it's a security robot so i've been built to be you know to to, to kill things that's my function and so it's kind of being ironic about its own nature Right. Not not that it agrees with that as its purpose in life, but that that's what it's been endowed with right. by its creators. What it prefers to do is to watch TV. <laughs> right. It's I mean, it's very Asperger-ish. It doesn't like looking at people in the face. It's very the socially awkward. Does not like dealing with emotions at all. Right. People's emotions. It doesn't have its own emotions as, as far as it knows. Except it does. Except it kind of does. It doesn't it, think it, it does. But it, it clearly does. has emotions. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> it it's kind of yeah. It it's it's kind of fun in that sense because you're like, oh, this I recognize this person. Like the like the aspects of this person. Right. Um. This personality. So. Um. So that's Murderbot exit strategy. Um, in the that's the I think it was the fourth or fifth one, and then there was a short story that followed, and then there's a longer. These were all, have all been like novellas, and then the next one you said is like a long novel. Um, so we'll get to that. I I've 
been kind of holding off on starting a new book. I've actually been reading um, The Fall of Numenor by J.R.R. Tolkien, which recently came out, which is a compilation of his writings about Numenor. But um, I've been kind of holding out because there's a new Mark Greeny Gray Man book coming out on Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to that. Right. And you really haven't finished anything. Um, No, I'm kind of plugging away on the Netanyahu's and Wizard of Mars and History of the Island and Game of Kings. And all things that we've you've talked about in progress right. before. And I'm just like scraping away a little bit at a time at each one and not making huge steps in any of them. Yeah. Um, I think I'm stretched too thin. <laughs> you need to focus on one. All right. So uh, Ash Wednesday is here. I'm not ready for Lent either. Well, let's go back and play last year's and the year before that episodes i would probably say exactly the same thing every year i am a broken record i should go and pull those actually and and cut those out and and add them in um we're never ready for lent are we no No. we're not um although i have actually given it some thought and i have some small plan Uh uh-huh um leah labresco kindly sent me a malcolm geet book his his lenten reflections um so i think Mm. it's lenten easter it's called the word in the wilderness. So I'm planning to read through that. Cool. Um, it's like a poem a day. And uh, usually I like to try to pick a novel that's going to have some sort of like a Christian theme. Um, I'm still pondering what I want to, to do for that. I, like I said, I'm already a little bit overwhelmed with novels, but maybe after I knock off a couple of the ones I'm in progress, then I can like do that quickly and then focus on more steady Lenten pace every year I resolve to um uh read either uh was it uh, father Newhouse's book or Newhouse or was it Fulton Sheen they both have a life of Christ uh-huh um or Pope Benedict's book uh Jesus the you know um Holy Jesus week. of Nazareth Jesus of Nazareth the Holy Week book um I never, I start it, I get like <laughs> maybe the first few days of the, of, and then I just, I, I lose the, I lose the plot and I never finish. So maybe this year will be different. Mm-hmm. So maybe <laughs> hope springs eternal. All right. Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about the mass readings from this past Sunday. I was, I'll be quite honest. I was exhausted. And I was having a hard time paying attention. Um, I have to say, but St. Adelaide's parish, my sister's parish, uh, Father David uh, Lewis is the pastor there, which we knew him when he was a, a deacon um, at, at our, we our went parish. To, and we went to his first mass. Yep. We went to his first mass and he, he got the his first blessing. Uh-huh. So he's the pastor there. He loves statues and holy pictures. Like, the, so it's a typical for the Boston area. um 60s church building it's the big sort of aircraft hangar style uh, big open space inside so and it's just it's kind of it's very much 60s in 70s it's it's very of its time right there, and there's so many of them around the boston area that look this it's almost exactly alike uh but what he's done is he's brought in so many statues like it the walls every surface is covered in holy pictures of saints and statuary the the sanctuary i counted there were at least four full-sized 
uh, statues in the sanctuary, not including all of the small statues and the paintings and the, there were the angels at the corner of the altar steps and the, uh, you know, the whole thing. Like he is just super into this decoration. It is like, so, and, and as Bella was saying, you know, what's kind of cool is you could probably, if, if you have a patron saint, you could probably find them in the church. Right. Um, it is, you know, per square foot, it is pretty densely packed. Yeah, I think the last time we were there, we we played let's let's find your patron saint with all the kids looking for their saints. Yeah, Bella found Saint Andre Bassett this time. Very exciting. Yeah, that's her uh, confirmation saint. So, um, but it was yeah, it was a beautiful mass. Father David celebrates at Orientum, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, he he has a and the music there is fantastic. By the way, Michael Olbash is the music director. He's a, a friend and he they do an amazing job. They had some really good polyphony for the um, I think it's polyphony for the uh, communion hymn. So it was beautiful. All right, let's wrap it up there. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including John T, Leah H, Ben H, Christian G and Brock R. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.